स्मार्ट मीडिया Welcome to the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host Brian Miller. On each episode, we explore the political stories that are driving public policy in California. We explore these stories with political insiders, business leaders, journalists, and policymakers themselves. to get below the surface of the headlines and show you the true forces shaping our nation state. Well, thanks for listening today. We are talking about one of the most important issues in California in the West generally, which is water. We have had uh, some really interesting developments on this topic in just in the last few months here and we've got one of the state's best experts on this topic, Ed Ring, who has written a new book about California's water scarcity and what we can do going forward to tackle these challenges. Uh, we had Ed on the show a few months ago. You may recall he's pushing a ballot initiative on this topic. This this book really lays out in detail not just the history of California's water challenges, but really very prescriptive things we can do on the policy side. So I wanted to have him back on to talk about the book, talk about the status of the ballot initiative, and I really think you're going to enjoy listening to this episode. So stay with us. Ed Ring coming up right after this. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country that are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear the latest updates from the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Ed, thanks so much for being on the show. It is a pleasure to have you again. Yeah, thank you very much. Good to be here. All right, so we had you on a couple months back to talk about California water and water issues, and uh, since that time, you've actually published a book on this topic, and we, we want to talk about the book. Why don't we start there? What made you decide to write a book on California's water woes? And, and, and let's just for for the listeners, let's go ahead and get the title out and and your full name so people can find it on Amazon. Well, sure. The name of the book is uh, "The Abundance Choice." Our fight for more water in California, um, and my name is Edward Ring, and uh, this book was something that, as I was working on an initiative attempt, an attempt to qualify an initiative to fund water supply infrastructure, I realized I was learning a lot of things and meeting a lot of people that might might be something worth sharing, uh, hopefully with a wider audience. There's a lot of very good references, uh, recent and classic. on water in the west and water in california but the, there are there were some missing pieces i felt and also some very recent updates so i figured i'd go ahead while it was all fresh in my mind and uh put it down in a book so i think uh when some of us think about books about california water the first book that comes to mind is cadillac desert sort of a, sort of a, a political classic in the state mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and then I don't know, I, th- I, th- I think about, um, 
you know, some, some of the books that have been written about Edmund Brown and his administration and, you know, the sort of the initial heavy investment. Um, so, so what, what would be, um, what, what's your library of the top books here on, on this topic besides, besides your own too? What, what, what else do you think are the indispensable resources? Well, I've read Cadillac Desert and annotated and uh, studied that book. I'm, it's from 1986, so it's uh, it's certainly a very relevant history, uh, and uh, it's uh, very accurate, well written, readable. Uh, I think that uh, an update is in order. the The book reflects a mentality that I think is not necessarily wrong, but requires balance. Uh, the book was a reaction to, you know, what had been a, per, perhaps a very maybe overly grandiose scheme to do interbasin water transfers and giant water projects all over the American West. And, you know, it's probably just as well that we didn't finish all of those projects. Uh, but on the other hand, if we didn't have them, we wouldn't have a civilization out here. Uh, in the Western United States. We, we simply wouldn't be able to live here without those projects. So, you know, an updated challenge that we have to consider is, well, how do we do it if conservation isn't by itself enough? And I think the premise of my book is that uh, conservation is very important, but but it's not enough. We We need more water and we need to figure out how to do it in a way that balances the uh, concerns, very legitimate concerns we have about the environment and sustainability, uh, but also takes into account these very real need to have more water. So uh, at a high level, I think it's sort of hard for us people to get their heads around like how much more water we need. How do you think about it? How, how much more water do we need in, um, in as plain English as I suppose we, we can imagine it? Well, in the rest of the world, they talk about cubic kilometers or, you know, gigatons of water. Here in the United States, we talk about million acre feet, which is about 1.25 cubic kilometers of water. Uh, in California, uh, the, you know, I looked at the averages and I got this information from the California Water Commission, uh, including some data that they haven't released publicly yet. And the average for the last seven years for which we have data is um, 8 million acre feet every year are used by California cities and 34 million acre feet uh, every year are used by California's farms. If you look at rainfall, and it's kind of interesting because with uh, just a few exceptions, California's geographic boundaries uh, conform to California's watersheds. So, you know, the amount of rain that falls in the state is about the amount of rain that runs off. There's a little bit that runs into out of Southern Oregon with the uh, Klamath, the upper reaches of the Klamath River watershed. But it's pretty amazing that California's geography conforms to its watersheds. In a dry year, we get about 100, a very dry year, we'll get 100 million acre feet of rain. In a very wet year, we'll get three times that. In the last, uh, you know, I'm trying to, to put this in, as, as you say, a very global perspective. That's, you know, that's what we get to work with. And uh, if, for example, in uh, December of 2021, uh, there was a big storm and they estimated that that storm 
dumped over just over 100 million acre feet of water on the state. So in one big storm, we got the equivalent of uh, one full dry year of water. The question is, you know, how much water do we need to work? How much do we have to work with? Um, a lot of water is diverted for the environment. Uh, about the same amount that the farms get are considered essential uh, to leave in the rivers. Uh, so, and when I say leave in the rivers, this is water that may be reserved in a reservoir and then released later in the summer, uh, not for irrigation, but but for, uh, for example, keeping salinity out of the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. So that also over the last uh, seven years, or the average there was about 32 million acre feet. So about the same as what the farmers get, we uh, divert to protect our rivers and our delta and our, you know, our riparian ecosystems. If that's what we're using, we shouldn't be trying to think of it as a zero-sum game, first of all. There are ways to get more water, millions of acre feet of more water, if we, are more, uh, if we have more capacity to capture runoff during these big storms. We didn't need all of that 104 estimated million acre feet that fell on the ground in December of 2021 to uh, you know, be this big, healthy freshwater pulse through all of our rivers and, and our delta, we could have reserved a lot of that and it would have been just fine uh, environmentally. So we have those opportunities. The, uh, the thing is, though, if we don't do something, look at what's happening with uh, the Colorado River. Look what's happened with our aquifers. Uh, the aquifers have been overdrawn for decades. Uh, they're at a point now where they're uh, subsiding. The ground is subsiding in the Central Valley. The aqueducts, uh, the California aqueduct, the Friant Kern aqueduct, the Delta Mendota Canal, the federal aqueduct from north to south, all of them are degraded because of land subsidence. Uh, and the wells that are necessary to extract water for irrigation or for cities in the Central Valley are being drilled deeper and deeper. And the aquifers in some cases are collapsing. And when that happens, you can't you know, put them back together. So we're lo we lose aquifer capacity. At the same time, the Colorado River uh, has been subjected to that watershed, the entire upper and lower Colorado River watershed uh, has been subjected to a drought for, I, I guess it's almost 10 years now, but the big lakes that we've got on the Colorado River, Lake Mead and Lake Powell, are at historic lows to the point where the federal government just last month said that they're going to have to drastically restrict the amount of water that is going to be allocated from the Colorado River. And we get here in California for uh, agriculture as well as for urban use, we on average uh, collect 5 million acre feet a year from the Colorado River. So what, per what percentage ballpark of our water use is that? Well, I mean, if we're diverting uh, 30 million for environment and 34 million for farms and 8 million for cities, I mean, we, we just taking the farms and cities together, you, you know, we need at least 40 million acre feet of water every year. 
Uh, so if you lose five of that, that's, you know, that's what, 12% of your water. Now we're not going to lose the whole 5 million. Uh, California has very senior water rights with the Colorado River. We were the first people, the first state to be diverting water from the Colorado in great volume. So we have seniority in terms of water rights. But at some point, we're going to lose a million, maybe two million, maybe more. There's a lot. There's a lot I want. There's a lot I want to impact there. before uh, before you go on, if it's okay. So, first of all, um, I like this storm example that that you gave because I think people can remember that one. Um, but those of you who can't, I, I, want to, I want to try to remind you, I was actually talking to somebody just the other day who was in Reno during that storm. This is last Christmas we're talking about, right? Ed. Um, it was, I was talking to somebody in Reno who could not get to his family in the Bay Area, just had to cancel Christmas because 80 was closed for like five straight days or something like that. As, as I recall, this storm went on for nearly a week. Uh, um, and, and I think what's also important to remember is it essentially didn't rain again for the rest of the winter. I mean, it's a few small ones, but that was, that was kind of it. So, uh, it was kind of feast or famine in Tahoe. So that's, I I don't want anyone to think my point here is I don't want anyone to think that's a typical event. That's the biggest storm cycle I remember. And I, I spend my free time chasing snow in California. Um, but, but then you're also bringing up a good point, which is like, we couldn't, save all that water, right? We couldn't, we couldn't use it. It came too fast. Can you explain what happens when that happens? Yeah. I, I mean, we get five, 5 million acre feet from the Colorado. We get 18 million acre feet that we pump out of the ground and the rest of it comes from runoff uh, in, in our own watersheds. Obviously, Colorado River's runoff as well. But uh, yeah, that water basically pulsed its way through the Sacramento and San Joaquin rivers and went through the uh, Delta and went into the San Francisco Bay and went out to the ocean. And what we've got are some big reservoirs. Uh, we've got dozens of big reservoirs, but there is a danger of letting those reservoirs fill so early in the rain season. What, what the concern was and still is, uh, is that if you have an in-stream reservoir like Oroville or Shasta or any number of reservoirs along the Sierra foothills, if you let those fill up with a runoff from an early season storm, the concern is you might get another big storm in the spring. You've got a full reservoir and now you have no ability to do flood control. And so the solution to that problem is to have what's called off-stream reservoirs. Off-stream reservoirs such as the uh, San Luis Reservoir, which is immediately south of the Delta, what they do is they take storm runoff they pump it into the aqueduct, and then it is transported from the aqueduct to a forebay that's uh, you know, downstream, if you will, from a reservoir that's built into an arid valley that would never fill up with water from normal rain and runoff. And you pump it into that reservoir. It's an off-stream reservoir. Uh, San Luis uh, has a capacity for, to hold 2 million acre feet of storm runoff. And it would never uh, be something that could then in the late season get inundated with rains. There simply isn't that kind of runoff in the watershed that surrounds the valley that was filled up and is now the San Luis Reservoir. There were, I think, 50 sites similar to the uh, San Luis Reservoir that were evaluated. Uh, They came up with uh, finalists. That one was built in four years in the 1960s. 
they've been trying to build another off-stream reservoir of high capacity for the last 20, 25 years up north of the Delta. It was supposed to be a twin to San Luis to hold 2 million acre feet of water. It's, it's I called the Sites Reservoir because it's in a little town called Sites, S-I-T-E-S. That reservoir has been tied up in litigation for over 20 years. Uh, they downsized it to a million and a half acre feet. They took away pump storage, which is a crazy decision because pump storage, where you release the water uh, into a forebay and generate electricity. And then when you have renewable energy during the day, you pump it back up into the reservoir and you cycle that back and forth. They're getting 450 megawatts of power from the San Luis Reservoir by doing that. And that's right. uh, energy you can store which is a big challenge if we want to go electric. They didn't. They took that out of the design for sites. They negotiated with the environmentalists. We'll give half of that water to the ecosystems, which means there's not a big enough rate base left of consumers to buy the water because you're trying to finance a reservoir and only able to sell half of its yield. There's all kinds of problems. Uh, and, and I know we're getting a, a field here, but the solution to the runoff the storm runoff is off-stream reservoirs. And there are plenty of places in California where we could build them. Okay, I want to go back to the Colorado point that you raised because um, that's one that scares me a lot. You know, I hear this discussed a lot. Um, and I have some Colorado clients who were, who were mentioning this recently. So, so the, first, the first thing I, I want to sort of get my head around is who um, – mediates those disputes is this purely a matter of federal jurisdiction or does the state of colorado really have any control over that topic <laughs> that's a really complicated question and it's not something i've delved into in detail but i can tell you this the amount of water that gets released from lake mead is up to the feds and then what happens to that water <laughs> that remains is something that the states uh, have to sort out between them Okay, but when you say California has very senior rights Correct. to the Colorado River, th is that a, a sort of a contract with the state of Colorado, some sort of MOU, or is that is that a federal matter that we have those rights? Like, where do those? What is the nature of those rights? Where do those exist? You know, for a good book on water rights, read "Winning the Water Wars" by Steve Greenhut. That just came okay. out a year ago. Um, I'm not an expert on water rights, and I deliberately steered clear of that in this book because I felt like it was one a, a labyrinth that is, you know, you'd have to write a <laughs> and focus only on that. Yeah, uh, lawyers to sort that out. What I know about the water rights in the Colorado River is, is that California was there first, and so they have in they have a an advantage when it comes to what are we going to do with however uh, much water the, the feds do release. Um, and that's gonna help us a little, but the bottom line is if there's, no, if there's not enough water coming out of that river, we're not gonna get our allocation like we used to. Right, and, and I'm also just questioning like how enforceable that is. Um, you know, I, I mean, whether it's the feds or Colorado, it, this, is, this cannot be like a unilateral thing where California sticks a straw in the Colorado River. Somebody else must get a say in this. At least that's my... There, yeah, there's a lot of, of, of special interests that want a piece of it. And if you're, you know, if you're looking at who's going to get the water, the city of Phoenix or the farmers in the Imperial Valley, 
uh, at the end of the day, they're going to figure out a way to let people living in Phoenix drink, you know, as opposed to have growing more alfalfa in the the Imperial Valley. And and you're, you're going into an area where one of the things that we could do to reform uh, water rights is make it a little bit easier for people who have senior water rights to sell those water rights. It's very, um, it's not as easy as it should be for farmers to allocate their water rights, uh, you know, in exchange for compensation to municipalities. It's being done and it's being done increasingly, but the rules that govern that need to be streamlined and and, uh, rationalized, for example, because farmers still run the risk of losing their water rights if they sell them one time to a municipality. So those kinds of things, again, are uh, important ways that we can manage water scarcity. But again, I, I kind of stuck to the premise that we, we need more water. We, if we have to have water trading, uh, you know, the financialization of water markets and all of that stuff has to happen against a backdrop of water abundance. And, and, you know, the irony of this is environmentalists are the biggest opponents to more water supply infrastructure. But if we had more water supply infrastructure, that would open up more options to manage the environment and to keep our, our riparian ecosystems healthy. So it's really, uh, if you want to focus on one thing, in my opinion, the area where we're just not pushing hard enough is to build more water infrastructure. So you have pushed a ballot initiative to do exactly this. We talked about this in the last episode, but we've got a few minutes left, and I, and I want listeners who maybe haven't heard that episode to hear what, what you think the, real, the really the heart of the political solution here is in California. So can you explain that? Sure. Uh, what we did uh, was we tried to figure out what would be the broadest possible initiative to solve the problem by eliminating water scarcity. Uh, so we we realized that a bond, it's not enough money. You know, the, the 1957 state water project, the plan that they uh, released in 1957, the budget was 100, and in today's dollars, okay, the budget was $118 billion. And that was twice the state general fund in 1957. Uh, again, I'm speaking in today's dollars. And $118 billion today is less than half of the state general fund, which shows you the commitment they were willing to make back then. They were willing to commit more than twice the state general fund in borrowing. The point I'm making is we couldn't possibly go out with a $100 billion bond. You know, uh, people get sticker shock at a $10 billion bond. Uh, But what it's going to take, you know, to bring California's water infrastructure into the 21st century is 50 to $100 billion dollars. So what we came up with is an initiative that would allocate 2% of the state general fund to uh, water supply infrastructure projects. That's $4 billion a year. And we provided for half of that, $2 billion a year, to be uh, used to pay principal and interest on bonds. So it was kind of an end around on the whole bond financing. Uh, $2 billion a year, even at today's rates, which are going up a bit, would unlock at least $25 billion to start several major water projects at once. And we didn't, uh, we didn't define which projects. We only defined which project categories would be eligible. So that would be wastewater treatment plants, which could probably get 2 million acre feet of water that's being 
lost into the Pacific Ocean. It's treated and, and then it's discharged into the San Francisco Bay or into the Santa Monica Bay down south or, you know, all these coastal, big coastal cities are releasing uh, well over 2 million acre feet of treated water into the ocean. That could all be recovered. And the cost to do that would be about $20 billion. Uh, but we need to do that. that that's a lot of water. Uh, we also uh, had off-stream reservoirs as eligible categories. We uh, also had spreading bases and aquifer recharge projects as eligible categories, project categories. And we had desalination as an eligible project category and, and a lot of other stuff. And, and we provided for it to sunset once 5 million acre feet of new water was being produced by each year by these new projects. Okay, so what is the, the status of your efforts on this? I mean, I, I, um, I, I'm assuming you sort of, you're not focused on the legislative solutions for now and you're focused more on the ballot uh, solutions, is that fair? Well, the consensus in the legislature remains that we can conserve our way to abundance. And I, I, I simply disagree with that. Uh, again, we don't have, we, we were relying on, you know, almost 20 million acre feet a year from aquifer pumping. And we can't do that anymore, uh, nearly to that level. We were relying on 5 million acre feet a year from the Colorado River. That's not going to stay at that level. So conservation is, I mean, when you talk about conservation in an era of prolonged droughts and those kind of constraints on where we used to get our water compared to where we're going to get our water, you're looking at taking, we got 9 million acres of farmland under cultivation. You know, we're in an era right now of global food scarcity. Uh, you would have to take out of cultivation, you know, enough to save 10 million acre feet of water, for example. Uh, is that a choice we want to make? We have legislation that's uh, calling for indoor water use to be restricted to 40 gallons a day. The average currently is about 60. Uh, that, that's a big shift, and that would be expensive to make that shift. You know, economically, you can spend the money uh, subsidizing households and businesses that can't afford water at the higher prices and installing dual meters on every household property so that you can monitor and regulate how much indoor water they consume compared to how much outdoor water they consume. Those things cost billions of dollars. So where are you going to put your billions of dollars? We're going to spend it one way or, uh, or another, even if our entire solution is just conservation. Uh, conservation is just not enough, but that's where the legislature is right now. So to answer your question, you know, we'd love to see the legislature do something that would be more decisive and more balanced, but we see no evidence of that right now. So, so where does the ballot measure stand? What, how can people help you in your efforts? Well, that's the uh, $10 million question. You know, if literally, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we looked at this, first of all, you know, if you have an initiative that fits on a eight and a half by 11 sheet on one side of an eight and a half by 11 sheet that people can print at home, you know, you just might be able to launch some kind of social media campaign to get enough people to print that at home, sign it properly and mail it somewhere. And you could put something on the ballot you know, for maybe for under a million dollars, uh, you'd still have to vet verify the signatures. You'd still have to have some very robust logistics in place. It wouldn't be free. But the reality is, you know, this initiative, which 
we refined this very carefully. It took 12 uh, revisions, uh, four months. Uh, there were hundreds of people involved. Uh, and it was a very thoughtful product that called for all of these uh, financing mechanisms to find all of these project categories, reform some of the environmental restrictions, such as in the Coastal Act and the California Environmental Quality Act. All of those things were necessary. It was 8,000 words. You, you have to put, if you want to really solve this problem, you can't put it on a sheet of paper. You have to have a very comprehensive uh, verbal product that's going to require professional signature gatherers, professional printing firms. Sure. Uh, it's going to cost you uh, to get professional signature gatherers employed nowadays uh, at least $5 per signature. You need a million and a half. It's been, it's been a lot more lately. I'll tell you that. That's right. People paying $14 in the last few weeks. Um, you, so, you understand that business and you're absolutely yeah. right. And it's changing very fast and it's escalating very fast. And five at when we were working on this was a rock bottom price. And just in the last year, that price has gone way up because we have players out there that don't care how much they spend to get the signatures. We have signature gathering firms that are terrified of uh, the possibility under the AB5 that their independent contractors will be required to be hired as employees. Uh, of course, there's not as many people out and about because of COVID. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that have uh, emerged simultaneously, background inflation, the fact that a lot of uh, supermarkets and malls are not as tolerant of signature gatherers as they used to be. So you're right. Uh, and, and imagine what we're talking about here then. For a constitutional amendment, you need 997,000 signatures. That's based on gubernatorial turnout. We're going to see a bigger turnout this November than we saw four years ago. So you're going to be looking at even more than 997,000 signatures. And you need to get more than that so that the amount that are verified will equal the threshold you need. Basically, we would have to go out and get one and a half million signatures from registered voters. And at 10 bucks a signature, you're looking at $15 million. So to answer your question, unfortunately, it's going to take big money. And, and it's sad that we can't find somebody to step up. I worked on this as a volunteer, so this has absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with that. Uh, but the facts are, if you really want to make this happen, you have to have professionals involved and you have to have tens of millions of dollars. And somebody in this state needs to recognize that conservation is not enough. We need resiliency and abundance in our water supply, not only for the sake of farms and cities, but for the sake of our ecosystems and for the sake of resiliency in the face of climate change, which, you know, we're, we're if the reason we're seeing these droughts and these irregular patterns of, of rainfall is because of climate change, we should be more committed to building water supply infrastructure, not thinking we can cons conserve our way out of this. Well, Ed, this is a great place to wrap. Thank you for everything you're doing. Um, you, you have been the true pioneer on this. I hope somebody listening can, can hear that message and um, reach out to Ed. Ed, what is your site so people can get in touch with you? Sure, it's still up and uh, we are uh, ready and able to help with something in 2024. Uh, the, the website is morewaternow.com.
Uh, more water now, Ed Ring. Ed, thanks so much for being on the show today. It is a pleasure to have you. Anytime, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. We invite you to share ideas for guests, ask questions, and leave comments. You can find us at NeptuneOps.com. Follow us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts as we continue to explore the insights and stories driving California politics. This is the Nation State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. Olas Media.